Hey, welcome to night school, Sunday. And it is the warmest day of the year so far, I believe. It's going to be about 85 today. And that's all you need to hear about the weather report, because there's actually a much more important weather report. And it has to do with every Sunday. And as much as I talk about Sunday being a day of dread, that's always been a theme of this show. When I started Every Night's a School Night, I said, you know, I want this show to capture the dread of a Sunday night, knowing you have to go to school the next day. And I'll always feel that Sundays have a certain boredom. Sundays tend to be a quiet day, even boring. Under even the best circumstances, there's just something about them. But over the years, especially the last couple of years, I've learned to take advantage of that, to take advantage of the quiet of a Sunday. And there's a reason why Sunday has always been an important day spiritually, at least in certain religions. You know, not, not all of them share the same day, but there's a reason why our society you know, molded around that day, why it's considered the first day of the week, yet it feels like the last. It's sort of where the snake's tail enters its mouth, where it's like, is it the beginning or the end? It's part of the cycle. We know it's an important part of the cycle. We know, you know, but yet the way that we've structured our weeks makes it feel, feel like it's the end of the week, yet we call it the first day of the week. But it's also an extremely important day because it's a day where you can banish ghoulishness from your life. And that's why people go to church, beyond the community, beyond just tradition, expectation, pressure, demands from their parents. You know, kids have to go to church, which I never did. I never had to go to church. But, uh, you know, it's a day where people congregate in an effort to banish ghoulishness from their lives. And uh, that's how I started to see Sundays as well, and that's something that I'm just very conscious of today. It's a great day to banish ghoulishness from your spirit, from your life. And in stories, the sun always does that. In stories, the sun is always the thing that the ghouls can't stand. It kills the ghouls. It causes them to hide. It causes them to shriek. And, you know, what is ghoulishness? Well, you know, rather than try to define it, I feel like if I tried to define ghoulishness too specifically right now, I would turn into a ghoul myself. And you always run that risk when you target ghouls. When you make a point of, when, you're, when your life revolves around fighting ghouls, you might as well be a ghoul. But that said, you can't ignore them. You can't ignore that feeling, especially in yourself. And you can't not recognize it when you see it in others. And you can never truly know if somebody is thinking ghoulish thoughts. You never can truly know, except that people start to act it out. You can tell when someone has a lot of ghoulish thoughts going on inside their head, because it eventually does start to impact their behavior. And right now, there's a lot of it. We are seeing a rise, the rise of ghouls, and they've always been there. 
But, you know, how do you recognize it in others? Well, they move a certain way, they talk a certain way, they shriek. To me, it's just one of those things that's just, in the light of day, it's just there's no mistaking it. But it can be harder to see it in yourself. And a lot of people don't make the effort or they don't even know how to banish that from their spirit. They don't know how to banish ghoulishness from their spirit. And I understand these are fantastical terms. But I think it's good to think in those terms. I think it's helpful. Rather than just thinking purely in terms of, oh, uh, don't think negative, you know, which is good too. But rather than simply thinking that way or framing it in this totally modern, secular way, you know, if that's helpful to you, that's good, but it's very easy to... Sometimes that becomes almost too mundane. But ghouls are mundane too. Mundane ghouls. But recognizing it in yourself, you know, how do you do that? Well, it's, it's a feeling for sure. And if you're honest with yourself, if you clear out all the overgrowth and all the brush, you'll recognize that in yourself when you start to behave that way. I mean, there are obvious ways when you start, you know, there's, there are the obvious feelings that don't necessarily create that ghoul inside of you. But they definitely pave the path, which are, you know, jealousy, resentment, a desire to lash out, a desire to remind everyone of your grievances all the time. And most importantly, never trying to set an example of what you want or of, or of the things about yourself that are already strengths not to say that you don't not to say that you are already the strong person that you strive to be but you can always recognize a ghoul because they don't even try to show off their existing strengths like i said you can recognize a ghoul from the way they move the way they talk the way they quote unquote talk they shriek And, you know, one way to avoid ghoulishness, I mean, let's get rid of all these grandiose terms. As much as I think it's good to frame these things in those terms, to use storytelling and mythology and um, let's just say, you know, a, a sort of to see things through a fantastic lens, as much as that is helpful, in my opinion, because you think about how that inspires you when you read about it. And you think about when you read Lord of the Rings. You know, or you, or you watch a movie. Of good versus evil. You think about how the way that the creatures are represented inspires you. It's not boring history. Even though history can be fantasy too. History can give you those same sort of sensations that a fantasy story would because it might as well be it is i mean that's that's what you eventually realize you realize oh history as well as modern day it's fantasy too you just have to learn how to kind of access that 
point of view. Uh, but, you know, despite all this talk of, of this being, you know, fantasy and it's imaginative and ghouls and, you know, banishment and light, it's also important to remember that the easiest way to banish ghoulishness is just by being decent and accepting yourself, respecting yourself. And not in that modern self-care way where it's like, oh, self-care means uh, getting that... Ben and Jerry's uh, ice cream and sitting in the bubble bath. It means candles. It can mean that. And, you know, pleasure is a part of caring for yourself. But there's also this sort of, it's it's kind of malignant. And people are noticing that. You know, I've seen a lot more, I've seen an increase in people mocking the term self-care. And there's some people where, you know, if, if every day, they justify everything they do. They, they justify every impulse they give in toward by saying, oh, it's self-care. Eating a sandwich, self-care. <laughs> and I got to be careful right now because I can feel myself. And I'm not saying they're ghouls for it. Nobody's a ghoul for being like, self-care. Although maybe we just don't see that side of ghouls. Maybe we don't see that side of goblins. When they're at home, they probably eat a lot of ice cream. But, uh, you know, I, I got to be careful here, though, like I was saying, because I, I don't want to... It's so easy to turn into a ghoul by getting specific and identifying the ghouls when it's more important just to recognize your own capacity to move beyond that, to move beyond those petty impulses, because there's a pettiness that kind of coats the ghoul. It's a petty, it's not a warrior, it's not a wizard. There's nothing noble. You know, ghouls move in packs, and they, a single ghoul is one of the weakest entities you can ever imagine. A ghoul by itself you know, the shriek of a single ghoul. Oh, I'm, I'm terrified by that. The shriek of a single ghoul. No, it's, it's, it's weak. It's a whimper. The shriek of a single ghoul is a whimper, but a chorus of shrieking ghouls, you got to worry a little bit. It's a lot of little hands scratching. It's a lot of, it's a deafening cry at that point. But all you have to do to combat that in yourself is to be decent. And strive for decency. Try to break even. But a step beyond breaking even, just try to be decent to yourself first and foremost. By being honest with yourself, by trusting your intuition. By just trying to, you know, be slightly better than neutral even. And neutral is not a bad place to rest, but just by being nice to people. And there's... An interesting line of thought going on right now that says being decent is toxic. And that, that specific word has been used, that politeness, that kindness is toxic. And of course, that's a slogan from ghouls. And decency is never toxic, hence it being decent. And it's simple, and it's easy. And it, it takes very little effort 
especially if you can achieve any kind of equanimity or neutrality, it's just, it takes the slightest nudge to, to just be decent. And that doesn't mean saving the world. It, it doesn't mean, you know, volunteering your time even to feed people or being a philanthropist. And you think about a lot of philanthropy, and a lot of philanthropy is people who have actually done indecent things to gain wealth and influence. They're just trying to break even or nudge themselves toward decency. Because someone who's in that position oftentimes, and I'm not anti-wealth. I'm not anti-CEO, big businessman. But we can see where a lot of people in those positions... A lot of people have, who have accumulated a lot of wealth and control and influence. There just seems to be a certain amount of indecency that leads to that. And maybe that's just a natural function. Maybe the world needs people like that. But you can see where a lot of philanthropy is sort of an attempt to cleanse themselves morally. Because imagine somebody who has nothing to be guilty of no no self guilt no questions about their own life and their own path to get where they're at imagine a person like that who has nothing to be objectively guilty about imagine if that person and they exist i mean that's the thing too is there are people like that who exist who are still philanthropists and that's becoming more than decent that's exceeding decency. That's becoming something truly special. But you don't have to be that special. You know, you don't have to exceed decency to combat this ghoulish urge that is in all of us. And to deny your own capacity to be that, and denying your own capacity to be a slimy goblin you know you give yourself you, you you make it much easier to become that thing by denying that part of yourself you lose the ability to recognize the road that takes you there Because when you recognize, I mean, it's like getting a phone call. You know, when you get a phone call and you see who it's from and you decide whether or not to answer it, you generally need to know who it is that's calling or have an idea. Oh, I have a friend in that area code. Maybe they got a new number. Or if they're in your phone book already, oh, so-and-so is calling me. Now's a good time. Now's not a good time. Or I don't want to talk to that person ever. I don't, I don't ever want to talk to him again. Um. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like that, where if you recognize the ghoulishness in yourself, and ghoulishness can be worse. I mean, ghoul, a ghoul is just a foot soldier. Like I said, there's a pettiness. You can become a full-blown demon, you know, if you don't catch yourself in the ghoul stage. I mean, just like evolution, there's a de-evolution, and a ghoul can easily advance through the ranks and be... You could be captain of the ghouls. You can become a, a full-blown demon. An FBD, a full-blown demon. We got the FBI, they got the FBD. Um, 
but uh, it's just like recognizing a number. Like once you recognize the the ghoul in yourself, you can when that calls, when the ghoul inside of you is dialing your number, you can say, "Oh, the ghoul is calling." The the inner ghoul is calling. Should I answer it? And some people just do instinctively. Because often the ghoul has something to say that is, it doesn't make you feel good, but it gets you high. It's going to do something. It's going to make you feel something. And people who don't, and that's, those are the people who are the most susceptible to this. They're people who don't feel anything and they hate it. It's kind of like Sunday. It's a boring quiet day and I hate it. That's kind of how a lot of people feel and they sometimes mistake that for depression or a diminished capacity for feeling when sometimes you can just say, hey, I don't really feel anything and I should just embrace that. I should just, you know, and if that goes on forever and it ruins your life or makes you unable to do the things you want to do, that's a little different, but if you have moments, even if they are extended, where you don't feel anything, it's kind of like a Sunday where it's like, well, hey, it's a good opportunity to banish ghoulishness, like a Sunday, that internal Sunday that you feel. Because at the end of the day, it all is in, in, internal. You know, even if it is something that's in response to something like the day of the week, like how weird is that, that a certain day of the week, so many of us feel a certain dread. And it's also the day where, like I said, it's this weird, it's where, the, it's where the Ouroboros' tail meets its mouth, where we can't really tell what's the beginning and what's the end because they're joined together. And some people think of Sunday as the end of the week, some think of it as the beginning, and I think of it as both. But the point is, is that you can recognize that separation. You can recognize that... You can see the the outline of the doorway, whether you're going in or going out. It doesn't really matter. You can see the outline of the doorway on Sunday. And there's a lot of cliche self-help people who will be like, Sunday's the day when you start your week. You start your week with the right mindset. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not above that. I like to find my own words. But I'm not above the mindset that's like, Sunday's the day to... Prepare yourself for the whole week. The attitude you have on Sunday is the attitude you're going to have for the whole week. And it's true, though. Those people aren't wrong. They might not speak my language. It might have taken me a different route to get to the same idea, but it's the same idea. Uh, And they probably wouldn't have the audience they have. They probably wouldn't be able to reach housewives if they said... Sunday's the day when you use that boring, quiet energy to banish ghoulishness from your life. Maybe housewives now, I think housewives are going to start to respond to that. But, you know, for the last, in the 90s and 2000s, I don't think that would have reached them. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> they're not my target audience, not yet. But, you know, with, uh, you, you recognize, though, that the feeling that you have on Sunday is your feeling. And even though everybody kind of feels it because society's clock is set that way, it's set to make us feel that way or encourage us to feel that way, you know, you can also, you can recognize that it's also an internal feeling. 
And you don't have to go to church. I don't go to church. I don't go to any kind of... I don't do anything overly ritualistic or ceremonial. I just keep it in my mind. And by keeping that in my mind and, you know, striving for the light, striving for the ascendant, that's a good way to to do what I'm talking about here, to be decent. And and if you were further set back, if you have something wrong with you, if you have something that naturally that gives you some sort of natural disposition toward the darkness. Decency is a reasonable goal rather than excellence or near perfection. And a good technique for not becoming a ghoul, you know, I was listening to, I listened to a show, it's by a guy, he's ex-military and he's now a lawyer, it's not a huge show. And he he just kind of talks about the classics, you know, classic philosophy, uh, but it's not boring. It's just he's it's it's a it's a masculine show, but he'll occasionally review things like movies. And sometimes the show can be boring, but I always feel like it's a good listen. But he not too long ago he reviewed Apocalypse Now on his show and I saw what what it was about. Before I listened to it, I saw what it was about. And Apocalypse Now has been one of my favorite movies since I was probably a young teenager, I love Apocalypse Now, and I thought, do I really need to listen to somebody review a movie that I already love? What could I possibly get out of that? I already know why I love Apocalypse Now, and part of it's because of the unknown. Part of it is because Apocalypse Now is a movie that embraces the unknown. It's a mystical movie. And like the reviewer said, he, you know, he said, it's not even a Vietnam movie. Even though it takes place during the Vietnam War, and it, it's certainly, the setting is certainly Vietnam, it's really not a Vietnam movie in the same way that other Vietnam movies are Vietnam movies. How many times can I say Vietnam movie in this sentence? But uh, he's right, and you know, to further illustrate that, I mean, it's based on Heart of Darkness, which is based on, it, it, the setting of that is colonial, even though it follows the same trajectory, even though the story follows the same trajectory, it doesn't take place in Vietnam. It was written long before Vietnam. It's a, it, it has a colonial... I, I'm trying to remember where Heart of Darkness takes place. I want to say Africa. But the story is exactly the same. or I mean, very. it follows very closely, except that it's a different setting. And so to translate that to a movie, yeah, it's not going to be about Vietnam. But the jungle atmosphere, the war going on, all of that is so important to it. But um, to get back to my point, you know, I thought, like, why do I need to listen to a podcast about something I already love? Like, it, it's sort of masturbatory, and but actually more boring than that. It's actually more mundane than that to think, like, uh, you're just listening to somebody talk about something you already care about that is actually better experienced watching it. But that said, I'm glad I listened. You know, he made some points. He, I learned some things I didn't know about Apocalypse Now. And one thing he said that stood out to me, and this is actually the whole reason I brought up this little anecdote, but he said, 
he didn't like Heart of Darkness, which I was surprised about. Based on this guy, just what I know about him, I was surprised that he said he didn't like Heart of Darkness, you know, the novella, whatever you call it. It's not quite a full, it's, it's not a novel, that's for sure, but it's a short story, maybe. Uh, the short story of Heart of Darkness. You know, I was surprised when he said he didn't like it, but he said this. He said, I didn't like Heart of Darkness, but it's great. But it's a great story. And I thought, wow. That is such an important statement. When you take away Heart of Darkness, you take away Apocalypse Now, just play Mad Libs with it, with anything. Can you do that in your life? Can you look at something and say, I didn't like that, but it's a great story or a great book. Can you look at someone and say, you know, I don't like them or I don't agree with them, but they make a great point or they're a great person. Because we all have our little preferences. You know, I think it's very common with music. And as I've said before, music and comedy tend to bring out the most severe reaction in us where for whatever reason, if we don't like something or don't even like the idea of it, because it's not even about the music or the joke necessarily, but if we don't like who's doing it or who's saying it, we have this tendency to be like, that sucks. We have this visceral reaction where we feel like it shouldn't even exist. You know, that, that band sucks, therefore they shouldn't exist. And it's not a response to their musicianship. It's just, it's a visceral reaction we have. And I still have that all the time. And it's part of being a human is just we, we react and we respond. And sometimes it's to things that truly have no impact on our lives, but we have taste. And our individual taste, having to hear something, ta- taste food that we don't like. And we get attached to our dislikes, too. We get very attached to those. And, I mean, I'm someone... I don't like being subjected to music that I don't want to hear, which is a lot of music. It's one of those things where I would say I love music and always have. It's been one of my greatest passions in life, but yet it's also the thing that I hate the most. Yet I call myself a music fan, sort of, less and less. but, But still, I call myself a music fan, yet I probably dislike or even am completely repelled by far more music than I like. So what is that, you know? But I, I've learned to be able to say, I don't like this, but it's, it's great. And a great example of that is classical music. The last couple of days I've been listening to just random Baroque classical, you know, the big names, Vivaldi, Purcell, Pachelbel, you know, it's it, that kind of stuff. And... The interesting thing about classical and Baroque classical specifically is I don't always think, actually very rarely think, that's my kind of melody. Or this somehow, it doesn't, very rarely does classical music speak to me in the same way a great riff or vocal line in more modern music speaks to me. You know, there are certain metal riffs, there are certain, you know, doo-wop vocal melodies, things like that, that I feel speak to me, and that I can listen to over and over again and get high off of until I get so sick of it that I never want to hear it again, only to rediscover it five years later and love it again and repeat that process. But anyway, 
you know, for me, that's the sort of stuff that speaks to me. But with classical, there'll be moments like that. But there's so much going on. I mean, I guess to be a modern person listening to classical music, it's almost like listening to audio wallpaper. And classical music has been so overused as soundtracks. You know, it's it's basically used as audio wallpaper, which is why it feels that way sometimes. But that doesn't take anything away from it. It doesn't take anything away from what it is. It's still great. I'm, I may not always respond to classical music, but that does not mean it's not great. And I actually do like a lot of it. I actually do love listening to it. But it's sort of... I, I would describe classical as this. It's very similar to breathing fresh air in the mountains. And you don't really realize the difference. You don't really realize the difference. But if you ever go up near a glacier, if you go on a hike in a rainforest, I live in Washington State, so there are some rainforests. I I very rarely go. But there are some rainforests near glaciers. And you go there and you get out of the car and you're just like, oh, yeah, this... And I, you know, I don't feel that the air in my city is that bad. There's a lot of forests. I go on walks in the forest. The water is there. I often enjoy the air, even in the city of Olympia. And I'm grateful for the air that we have. But when you go to a glacier, when you go to a rainforest, you just the, it's so noticeable. It's so evident how different the air is. And that's sort of what classical music is to me. It's it's fresh air. And even just saying fresh air, that makes me think of air fresheners or even some kind of artificial attempt to create clean air or some sort of minty scent that you hang from a tree-shaped air freshener. But it's, it's like real fresh air. It's sort of this crystal clear injection into your lungs. And that's what listening to classical does, and it's, that there's a reason why studies show it improves focus. And some of that might be psychosomatic, or where it's like, you know you're listening to classical music, and it's grand, and it's, you know, some of it might just be you wanting to feel smarter, which is why you're smarter when you're doing your homework to classical music. Some of it might just be your intention without you realizing it. But that's kind of everything, and that's kind of what I'm talking about today. It's kind of, a, Sunday is sort of a day to inject fresh air into your brain. And you need to have the intention behind it. Because even if you're up in a glacier breathing that air, yeah, it's, especially if it's cold, especially if the air is cold, you can't help but notice it. But you can easily not notice it. You can easily breathe the freshest air and not notice it and take it for granted and that's okay sometimes that's just sometimes sometimes living in the moment means not paying attention and i take that attitude toward hiking in the forest and i can get kind of self-righteous about it too sometimes i think you know i don't i don't stop and pay attention in the woods i don't stop and pay attention to things in the woods cuz that makes me feel more disconnected from nature you know i kind of have this philosophy where if i'm walking through nature i want to be moving quick and not stopping to pay attention to every little thing, because that makes me feel like more of a participant in nature. Because if you look at animals, what do they do? They're doing things in the forest. They're not looking around and sightseeing. 
But I also, I've made an effort more recently to take the time to sightsee. And before my mom passed, we took a walk in the woods, the last walk we ever took. And she wanted to stop. She hadn't been in the woods a lot in the last few years. And she wanted to stop and, and notice things. And now when I've been back to that same spot where we walked, I noticed the things that she pointed out on that last walk we had together. Little things. And I'm talking about just the way that, you know, a fern or a... Uh, a vine or anything curled around a branch or just the way that those two plants crisscrossed. Oh, the way that tree, you know, just little tiny details, not grand views, not, oh, look at the water from this cliff, you know, but just little details that you would only notice if you stop and look. And it, it's not that I don't appreciate nature as someone who, you know, worships nature to a large degree. It's not that I never pay attention, but I, I've kind of developed this self-righteous attitude where it's like the most natural way for me to be in nature is to be constantly moving. But I also realize that that's me being stuck in my own head, too. And part of being a human is realizing that I'm not like all the other animals in the forest. And my intention sets the rules, and sometimes it feels better to be moving swiftly through nature with my eyes focused straight ahead. And sometimes it feels better or just feels like the right. Sometimes the rhythm is, is to stop, you know, sometimes the rhythm leads you there and to, to stop and look around and gaze and appreciate that. Uh, it can be both. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. But you do have to have that intention. You have to set that intention, as they say. And Sunday's a day where you can do that. And what's more natural than your own mind? You know, you, you could get very Buddhist about it and say your mind is actually not natural. It's as much of an illusion as anything. But by that same line of logic, of course, nature itself, the jungle, the forest, the mountains... If your mind is an illusion, those are an illusion too. So you can still kind of think of your mind the same way you would a forest or a jungle or a mountain or a desert or all of it. And you can choose to engage your mind in the same way you would a hike, which really, as much as that is physical, it is an engagement of your mind. There's a reason why people feel so mentally better. Because it's not just the physical exertion, but there's a reason why people feel mentally so much better when they've been out in nature. But you can think of your mind in similar terms, and I wasn't planning on bringing that up, and I don't think I've thought it through. This is the first time I've really put words to that, so I don't know entirely what to say. But I think you can engage your mind the same way you would the nature around you. And I guess that would be a way, the, the same things that you see as strengths in nature, the same things that you are astonished by. You can build on similar sensations in your own mind. And part of that is through decency. When you strive for some kind of decency, you start to notice strengths. You start to notice what you can build on. And I think I'm, at this point, I consider myself a decent person. I think I've always been pretty decent, but I was much more prone to ghoulishness. Definitely ghoulish thoughts. Not so much ghoulish behavior, but like I said, eventually that plays out physically too. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I'm at a point, though, where I, I just, I recognize my own decency, and I refuse to be called indecent for simply doing what I do and thinking what I think. Not that I, you know, I have a lot of self-criticism, and I'm open to criticism from others. As long as it comes from a place of decency, as long as it's done in good faith, and that's something you have to apply to yourself first and foremost, you have to learn to criticize yourself, but do it in good faith. Because a lot of people's self-criticism doesn't come from a place of good faith. It comes from a place of... You're so stupid. I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. I thought Mike's... I thought Mike's dog... I told my... Fr I said to my friend Mike, Oh, your dog's the most beautiful cocker spaniel I've ever seen. And he told me, It's not a cocker spaniel. It's a, a great Dane. And I thought, Oh my God, I'm so stupid. Oh, I, I, I really like this girl... And I asked her on a date, and she said she already has a boyfriend. A boyfriend. I'm so stupid. It's like, there's, that's not building on your strengths. Building on your strengths in, in, in those situations would be, I thought Mike's dog, and this is my strong voice. That was my weak voice. This is my strong voice. I thought Mike's dog was a, uh, a cocker spaniel. And it turns out it was a Great Dane. I thought Mike's dog was a, a cocker spaniel. It turns out it was a Great Daniel. Now I know. Now I know. I've learned something. Next time, if I want to, or next time, maybe I won't even need to specify what kind of dog it is. Or if I do, now I know the difference between a cocker spaniel and a Great Dane. And for me personally, just as a side note, I have no idea. Like, I know that my dog is a Chihuahua. There are certain... I know what a St. Bernard is. It's kind of like with cars, where there are certain cars that I know... Oh, I know that's a Ford truck. I know that's a Porsche. Or a Porsche. I know that's a Porsche. You know, I can do that, but there are so many cars where I don't know what they are, and I would never be able to guess. I'm the same way with dogs, where there's only certain dogs I know. But anyways, you know, building on your strengths would also be, you know, oh, I asked that girl out, and she said she already had a boyfriend. A boyfriend. Even if she was lying, hey, I did it. I did something that people are terrified to do, even though it doesn't kill you. I did that thing that people are more terrified of than anything when they're like 13, and yet they continue to be that terrified. I asked that girl out, that thing that's going to kill me if, if she says no. Well, hey, now I know. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to beat myself up for having no will. Hey, I have the will to go ask her out. I had the will to go ask Genevieve out. And she, even though she turned me down or I learned that she was already engaged to a man, at least now I know. And hey, I can do that again. The next time I identify... Next time I see a Great Dane, I can let everybody know, hey, that's a Great Dane. I know my dogs. The next girl that you like, hey, you can walk up to her and say, hey, I've faced rejection. But self-hatred is ghoulish. Considering yourself indecent is the, that's the start. That's the primer. 
You think about the way you prime up a car, you paint primer on it, you know, because I know so much about cars. I, I, I know I, I can identify any car, the model and make by eyesight. I clearly know how to paint cars, too. But I do know. No, really, though, I do know that you put the primer on first or when you're painting Warhammer guys, when you're painting Warhammer figurines, you, you put the primer on them first and then you put the paint job, the external paint job on them. And uh, the primer, though, for ghoulishness starts with considering yourself indecent and not even being honest with yourself about it, but just subconsciously considering yourself a failure, hating yourself. Because anybody who becomes a ghoul, anybody who shrieks like a ghoul and has the posture of a ghoul and moves in a pack with other people with that posture and that tone of voice, they got there by considering themselves indecent. And by considering themselves indecent, they decide, I'm just going to give up. I'm not even going to strive for decency. It's not the path to hell is paved with good intentions. It's the path to ghoulishness is paved with a, a, a feeling of your own indecency that you refuse to transcend. And, uh, you know, I wanted to keep this short, about 40 minutes. Just to, I want to go back one more time to that idea about Apocalypse Now and Heart of Darkness and the, the reviewer that I was listening to. Just his point of, he says he didn't like Heart of Darkness but it's a great book. Keep that in mind. Get rid of the words. Get rid of the words heart of darkness. Get rid of the words apocalypse now. And look for opportunities to make that your new guideline. If you have to remind yourself of that logic, that way of thinking, do that. But embed it in yourself so that everything you come into contact with is given that same respect, is given that same opportunity. It should become second nature so that when you interact with the world, you no longer have to analyze how it affects your taste. And you will have that reaction. You still are going to have taste. I mean, if it's not obvious on this show, I'm always talking about things that suck and I don't like and this and that. You know, of course, that's part of who we are. That's why you make the effort, though. Because you're still going to do those things you don't want to do. You're still going to get mad. You're still going to whine. You know, you're still going to make the same mistakes in life. It's just part of this imperfect story. When you sign to the contract that you don't remember signing, but I know you did, you might not remember the pen in your hand, but you, your soul signed a contract to come into this life in the current form you were in. And part of that deal was that you were going to be imperfect. That's your original sin. But that's an opportunity to do everything else except be perfect. Especially to be decent. And so, yeah, you will, be, you will listen to music and say, Turn this off, I hate it. My friend Mike listens to this fucking music. Great guy. See, that's how you do it. You go, great guy. He listens to shitty music. He listens to shitty fucking music, but he's a good guy. That's how you fill in the blanks. Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now, shitty music, great guy. Or, I don't like what he listens to, but I recognize that he has great taste in what he listens to. I know a lot of people like that. 
I know a lot of people who I would say are experts and they have a deep passion for a certain subject or a certain interest or a certain genre of something. And I think that's not for me, but I recognize that they have great taste in something that I don't have taste in. So that's an important thing to embed in your subconscious when you go out through the world. And it will be, it's great armor against your own ghoulishness and also against other people's because other people will suck you in where they will try to prod you into reacting. And that's what ghouls do is ghouls react. Ghouls don't have a will. You lose your will when you become a ghoul and you start to simply react to every sound you hear. You know, it's why ghouls are easily defeated, even in large numbers in fantasy stories, because they just respond to whatever's nearest. It's, they, they have this just uh, proximity is everything to a ghoul. And uh, <laughs> proximity is everything to a ghoul. A story. But it's true. It, it, ghouls just react. And you can see where, the, where our modern society, you know, it, it's difficult because there's a lot to react to. There was a certain point in time where you're only reacting to your immediate environment. You're reacting to the people that you are in the room with. You are reacting to the actual natural environment around you. Even if you build a house, your house is in the woods. Your house is in nature. There are wild animals. You're reacting to the elements. You are reacting to the unpredictability of nature, to weather, to drought, to ghouls. You, there were still ghouls then. You, you could still become a ghoul then, and your family could seem like ghouls, and so you could still react to ghouls. But now we have the, these mediums and these ways of communicating that really bring the ghoulishness to the forefront, especially because the ghoul, the inner ghoul, is very much a part of people's subconscious. Very few people think, I'm a ghoul, and that's the way it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do ghoulish things today. I'm going to do ghoulish things today. Very few people think that way. Some of them do, serial killers. You know, and not just serial killers. There's a lot of things that ghouls do that aren't that serious. But still, there are some people who are like, I'm going to tell it like it is. And that's an excuse to insult people. Some people know they're being ghouls. Um, but there's a lot of people who the ghoulishness is just so deeply embedded in their subconscious that it comes out at every opportunity, especially when they know nobody is watching. So they go online. Because they're timid creatures. And so it's, it's easy for them to go onto Twitter or to Facebook or to do things anonymously. And not just, that's, that's how crazy things are, is the big storyline back in the day was that, oh, anybody can say anything they want online because it's anonymous. Because it's anonymy. Anonymity. Anonymy, what is that? <laughs> Anemone. You heard of anemones? Well, there's anonymies, too. The people who go online anonymously and they can say whatever they want behind their keyboard. Well, the biggest revelation of the last 10 years is that we don't even need anonymity to express our ghoulishness online. 
A lot of people do it under their real names with their real faces right next to their name. There's a lot of people who don't even need anonymity to feel comfortable expressing their ghoulishness to the entire world, which in turn brings out the ghoulishness in other people because everybody's reacting. It's again what I'm talking about with ghouls react. And we all react, but ghouls react without considering their reaction at all. Ghouls don't have a practice. Ghouls don't have discipline. Ghouls simply react immediately, impatiently. They're not even impatient, because just patience isn't even part of it anymore. It's not even about them being impatient. It's just not even a part of the game anymore. It's just a world of immediacy. It's like being in the moment, you know, as much as being in the moment is thought of as this, oh, it's, it's enlightenment. Enlightenment means being in the moment. There's also a horrible form of being in the moment. <laughs> There's also a, mo- everything has its, you know, its strong side and its weak side. Everything has its malignant underside. Everything has its shadow. And there's the ghoulish moment, which is when you're just reacting in a, a terrified and terrible way to everything. And again, you know, with modern technology, you know, we have increased capacity to see things that terrify us, and it gives us the ability to be terrible. And it guarantees that somebody will have to see the terrible things that we say or do. And that, in turn, influences our real day-to-day life as well. These things blend together, especially now. But I don't, I'm not against technology. I'm not against modern communication because I think that these things can make us stronger. The fact that there's more that could potentially cause us to react, there's more information and communication overload, means that we have the capacity to become stronger in response to that. We can strengthen our ability to handle that with equanimity. We can become more stoic in response to just a volley of poisonous arrows coming to us in the form of little boxes of text. And just when we think we have that handled, oh, I've unplugged. I've unplugged for the weekend. Just everybody knows I'm unplugging for the weekend. Just when you think that you're safe, oh, your armor, you've unplugged, you realize that the real world is feeding off of those same poison arrows. The the same poison arrows that people are sending digitally, you'll meet up with your friends and guess what they're talking about. You go to the grocery store and someone's mad about something that they read online, so you never really escape. And where do those poisonous arrows come from anyway? I mean, they didn't manifest in the digital realm. They started in people's brains, and people have always been volleying poisonous arrows. Packs of ghouls have always been firing poisonous arrows off. It's just now we have these new ways of seeing them all the time and feeling them, hearing the pings as they hit our shields. But I think putting your shield up isn't necessarily the right thing to do, and I'm not going to go too far into this metaphorical fantasy world that we're already deep into. 
But, uh, you know, I don't even think you have to, it's resist not evil, it's that idea, where I don't even think you have to spend your time blocking those arrows, because they're wildly inaccurate. And I, I think that if you learn the discipline and you can condition yourself to banish ghoulishness from your own life, those arrows will typically miss you. And when one of them does on the off chance come near you, well, yeah, maybe you can block it then. You know, it's not that you should never... I mean, you should always carry a sword by your side. And maybe that's something that I could kind of wind this episode down with. It's a quote from Jonas... uh, Let me... Jonas Hanway, who is by chance a philanthropist and a traveler... And I, I came across this online, so I don't have, I can't take credit for finding this. I can't take credit for writing it either, but I, I wasn't the finder on this. I just happened to see this randomly. But uh, Jonas Hanway, who I, I wasn't familiar with before, but he was a traveler and a philanthropist in the 1700s, but he had written something that upset a guy. And who knows who that guy is? And this guy challenged Jonas Hanway to a duel. And in response, and this guy did it via letter. So you can see where that's a poisonous arrow. You know, even though this was done through the mail in the 1700s, it was done via letter. You can still see that this guy, was he was upset about something that he believed had been said about him. And so he sent Jonas Hanway a poisonous letter challenging him to a duel. It was a reaction. It was this guy being a ghoul. And I don't know what he said in his letter, but in response, Jonas Hanway said, Sir, in reply to your letter, the meaning of which I suppose is a challenge to fight with you, as I do not understand by what authority you call me to account, I will not tell you whether I am the author of any such paper as you mention or not. But this I think my honor is concerned to tell you, that I never intend to do any man an injury. And if an offense does come, that honor also obliges me to make atonement without putting my friends to the trouble of fighting. And for my part, I always make it a point not to resent affronts. And that's in all caps. (laughs) I always make it a point not to resent affronts. That's important. that's That's me editorializing this. That's important. I always make it a point not to resent affronts. Continuing now. Beyond the measure which reason and religion warrant. I always make it a point not to resent affronts beyond the the measure which reason and religion warrant. As to meeting you, I have no inclination to walk in such weather as this. Much less am I disposed to fight for nothing. But a sword I always wear intending to use it upon every just occasion. I am Jonas Hanway. I like how he signed it, I am. Uh, But, you know, that's that's important. You know, not to resent affronts. He's saying to that, because this guy is filled with resentment. He's challenging this man to a duel over something that was said. And no matter what Jonas Hanway said about him, this man took great offense. It really penetrated his soul, and the ghoul just crawled back. You know, it penetrated his soul and woke that ghoul up. 
And Jonas Hanway is saying, you know, I really want nothing to do with this fight. I mean, you, were, you, you heard it. I don't, need to, I don't need to break it down for you. You heard it in plain English. But I do like that he said, you know, I don't intend to fight with you, nor do I intend to walk in this weather. But I always carry a sword. I think that's an important thing to remind people of, too. Because I've said on this show before, I'm not a pacifist, but I don't, also don't believe in fighting. I do not believe in getting in fights. I don't want to fight. Even when I channel that inner warrior and I, I, you know, get that feeling. Even when the ancient vein is really flowing. Even when that invisible blood is really flowing through the ancient vein inside of me. I still don't want to fight. But I would not consider myself a pacifist. I don't want to, in the same way that I wouldn't consider myself any kind of ist. Because I know the capacity is there to fight. And just we all have our own self-interest in mind or the interest of others. And I don't want to... I don't want to make any promises that I can't fulfill. And that's part of being imperfect. That's part of living with original sin is that we will make promises that we don't fulfill. I mean, I can think of so many times somebody asked me to do something maybe creative. I think about a friend of mine who... Two different friends. Maybe three. God, how many times does this happen? Three and a half. Three and a half times people have asked me to draw a tattoo for them, and I've been like, yeah, I'm honored. How many tattoos have I drawn for people? Zero. I think I feel weird about the idea of someone putting my art permanently on their body, but with one of them in particular, the first person who ever asked me to do that, I just kept saying, every time I talked to him, I was like, oh, he asked me for a half sleeve, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm planning on doing that next. And now he has a bunch of kids, and I don't know if he still wants that half-sleeve. Maybe when he's 90 years old, and I'm 85, I don't know what our age difference is, but uh, maybe then I'll, I'll say, I finally got that tattoo. You can get it on your, on your deathbed. You can get that tattoo <laughs> that I promised. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where we all have those little promises we don't fulfill, and even those chip away at you. They're like soft lies. You know, even soft lies chip away at you, and sometimes you do have to give a soft lie. Sometimes you do have to say, I'm not coming to Mike's party because I'm sick. Even though you feel fine, you just don't want to go. You know, sometimes we have to use a soft lie, but you should strive to not use them because the more soft lies you use, the more likely you are to start doing hard lies because soft lies create the... Soft lies you know, they make you prone to ghoulishness, too. I mean, <laughs> it all comes back to ghoulishness today. Um, but, uh, you know, even just telling too many soft lies will weaken your system. It'll weaken your spiritual immune system, and pretty soon you're telling hard lies. And uh, that's that's how you know you're a ghoul. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it, to, But to me, that pacifism thing is kind of the same way, where... It's kind of like with what's going on in the world right now, where it's like, I consider myself a person who strives for decency, and I respect myself enough to say, I'm decent and you can't tell me otherwise. No matter how much you try to spin history, spin who I am, those are just the, it's, that's the twisted arithmetic of ghouls. When you know that you are doing okay, and when you know that doing okay is simply okay, 
it takes twisted arithmetic to turn that into something horrible, which we see a lot of right now. Twisted arithmetic. People trying to turn decency and okayness into the enemy. And when you know that you are decent and okay, you don't give in to that game. You don't start using that system of measurement that they're using. No matter how much they prod you, no matter how much they push their influence. But a lot of people who just feel okay and are insecure about it, they can easily be convinced otherwise and they can start thinking, oh, you know, they, well, I guess that makes sense. I guess it makes sense that I'm really a ghoul. Even though I was doing okay, even though I treat my friends and family decently, even though I mind my own business, I guess you're right that that makes me a ghoul. So I'm going to become even more of a ghoul, because that's what ghouls do to recruit you into their army. And, uh, you know, I don't want to end this episode on that note. But I do want to, I do want to mention the Jonas Hanway quote that letter one more time, but I, I like the way he ended it, where he made it a point of saying, don't take things personally. Don't react to things. And I don't want to fight. I don't want to walk in this weather to fight somebody. But he made it a point to say, I keep a sword by my side. Because I think it's important for people to know that about you. Because I, I think that you, you shouldn't present yourself as weaker than you are. You shouldn't present yourself. That's a weasel move. That's what a weasel does. You know, I, and don't even get me started on weasels. Otherwise, we'll be here for another hour. But, uh, that's a, you know, a weasel move is to make people think you're totally weak and harmless when you're not. And maybe you think you are. But uh, maybe you are. And that doesn't mean you're bad. Being weak doesn't make you a ghoul. It can make you susceptible to ghoulishness. <laughs> How's that for arithmetic? Um, but, uh, you know, you, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't carry a literal sword at my side as much as I would like to. But I would like to think that I carry a psychological sword with me. And that's why I would say that I'm never a pacifist or I'm not a pacifist. Even though I believe in peace even though I believe in understanding, even though I believe in recognizing the greatness in even the things that I don't like nor agree with. It doesn't mean, though, that I don't carry my own psychological sword should I need it, but I treat it like a tool. And those tools are important in your perpetual lifelong war with your own tendency toward ghoulishness, as well as your war with the external ghouls that could potentially come at you, and they generally come at you mentally, spiritually, to convert you, to pull you into their horde. But Sunday, it's Sunday. Maybe it's a quiet day, maybe it's a boring day, maybe you have a work schedule where you work on Sundays. Maybe your Sunday is different than my Sunday. But as I said a few months ago, quarantine, coronavirus, these things have created a perpetual Sunday. 
And a lot of people have the same dread that they would have on a normal Sunday. Oh, the week is starting. Oh, no, the week is starting. I got to clock in tomorrow. I got to clock in to work tomorrow. You know, people have that same sense of dread right now as I spill cold coffee on myself. Oh, no, I'm turning into a ghoul. <sighs> but uh, spill, that's how you turn into a ghoul. You spill cold coffee on yourself. Because you don't have to react to that. You got to react. See, like you got to react to some things. If you spill hot coffee on yourself, well, hey, that warrants a response, a reaction. But if you spill cold coffee on yourself, hey, just wash it off. You don't have to even think about it. Don't be a baby who falls down and doesn't hurt themselves and then starts crying when their parent asks if they're okay. Don't say ow if it doesn't hurt. That's ghoulish. (laughs) But, uh... I had a point. Oh yeah, the the perpetual Sunday, the perpetual the perpetual Sunday of coronavi and everything going on. 2020. I'm against the idea of demonizing 2020. You know, you see people do this when someone they like dies, when a celebrity that they're fond of dies. They say this year sucks. Oh, this year took David Bowie from us. This year sucks. This year took David Bowie from us, man. It's like, come on. And But you don't want to be that person either who goes, death is normal. You must accept David Bowie's death. You know, you don't want to be that person either because that kind of turns you into the ghoul. But there's this tendency, though, like when bad things happen every year, and it's important to remember that. My mom died at the end of 2019, as everybody who listens to this show knows. And... It's the biggest loss I've ever had in my life, but I don't consider... That didn't taint 2019, and it it happened in December, and it certainly didn't taint the year to come, even though this year has had its curses for everybody. But I refuse to look at 2019, 2020, 2021. I refuse to look at that as cursed years. I I refuse to look at these years as cursed years. And I refu- And when someone dies, you know, but you see it a lot with celebrities where it's like, oh, my God, I thought this year couldn't get any worse. I thought this year couldn't get any worse. And oh, the, 2020, you can't have him. 2020, you can't have him. And there's that sort of attitude. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's OK to grieve. It's OK to, to feel the loss of something. But there's this, you know, sort of tendency to be like, oh, it just, it just, see, everything sucks. It's, it's sort of like, you know, you don't have to like 2020. You don't have to like what's happening in 2020, but you can still say it's a great year because it's a year in history. Every year in history is a great year. Whether good things happen to you or bad things happen to you. And if you can recognize that every year is a great year, which is going to be the new name of this show. Every night's a school night. Every year is a great year. But if you follow that same logic to its logical conclusion, you'll realize, oh, every life is a good life. Life is a good life. Who are you to disagree with life? That's one of the most audacious things you can do, is to disagree with the very nature of life itself. But that's what ghouls do. (laughs) Ghouls are in full disagreement with life itself, which is how they became ghouls, which is why they resemble ghouls, which is why their mannerisms and their shrieks 
are those of ghouls and not men or women. There's a reason why they are these sort of amorphous gray creatures of darkness. There's a reason why the light isn't on them, and they've chosen that. It's not that the light has chosen not to shine itself on the ghouls. The ghouls hide from the light. So Sunday, what can you do on a Sunday? What can you do during a perpetual Sunday? The coronavi quarantine. What can you do during that time? You can use it as an opportunity to banish ghoulishness from your life. And by banishing ghoulishness from your life, that's going to remove one ghoul from your environment. And that ghoul is the ghoul that you could potentially become. So by removing that one ghoul that would be you, your environment is immediately less ghoulish than it could be. And you can continue to not stare at the sun, but move in the direction of the sun, expose yourself to the sun, expose yourself to the metaphorical light. It's a way that you can spend your perpetual Sunday as dreadful as it might feel, as anxious as you might be. And, of course, different people have different situations. Some people are facing much more harrowing circumstances. But when you have the time, when you have the ability to sit, think about keeping that at bay. And learn that you don't have to block all the arrows. You can actually live a life where the arrows simply miss you. And when the occasional one does come your way, you can say, well, hey, I have that sword at my side for a reason. I have that shield for a reason. And, you know, I think devotion is important, too, to something. You know, kind of like the Neville Goddard quote I mentioned, you know, faith is loyalty to unseen reality. It could be just that. It could be the unknown. Devotion to the unknown. It doesn't have to be devotion to a, a certain deity. You know, and meditation for me is equal parts. I don't want to say equal parts, but it's like I, when I meditate, I hope for transcendence. For me, like I feel best during meditation when my thoughts cease or at least slow to a, barely a trickle, and I, I'm able to transcend my surroundings and you know, not necessarily go somewhere else, but just transcend these immediate surroundings. That's what I always hope for and strive for. But even when I don't do that, when I do have more on my brain, when I do have more anxiety, I at least see meditation as a form of devotion. And I repeat certain ideas in my head. I have certain mantras that make that devotion clear. And even if I can't transcend where I'm at in the present moment, I think keeping up that devotion, and whether you call it meditation or prayer, keeping up that devotion, that'll always help keep the ghoulishness at bay. That'll always slow down the momentum of your thoughts, because it's the momentum of your thoughts that allow the worst thoughts to creep in. And by slowing your thoughts down, by allowing thoughts to come at you at a trickle, you know, you can at least let the strong thoughts come first and come loudest and take up the most space, that space that's been cleared. And a lot of those thoughts are intuitive because they really are your 
physical, mental, and spiritual survival. They are your psychological sword. And with that, you know, you can always have a defense against ghoulishness if they do come for you, or if it does come from inside. So use the perpetual Sunday. Use the perpetual Sunday of coronavi quarantine. Someday they won't know how to pronounce the words we use. It's kind of like when we look back at ancient uh, languages and we don't really know how they pronounced them. Someday somebody's going to look back and they're going to say, Coronavi quarantine. It was a period where ghouls overtook some, but others stood strong. And they had something called a psychological sword. And those who had it may not have been perfect, but they defended themselves against that ghoulishness. They banished ghoulishness. And they turned Sunday into a, you know, a a start rather than an end. This land is mine. God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.